their sons. Welcome to this week's episode of Whiskey and Mash. I am Chris Pullman. And I am Gloria Ackerman. And this week we will be talking about uh, Season 10, Episode 18, Heroes, and Season 10, Episode 19, Sons and Bowlers. So funny because both episodes kind of have a little father theme. Um, the mm. first episode is Heroes, and it's about jump. Uh, gentleman Joe Cavanaugh coming and he's this famous boxer and mm -hmm. um, Father Mulcahy just loves him and we find yep. out the reason why is because his father took him when he was younger and then the next episode is definitely father centric so um, to all the fathers out there you deserve kudos to all of you um, so that's what episode 18 heroes uh, gentleman Joe Cavanaugh is coming and he gets whatever he wants. That's the basic premise. Yeah. Like, all Klinger has to do is say, um, Gentleman Joe is coming, and he get he can order whatever he wants. He gets 60 steaks for the camp, so everyone is going to have T-bone steaks about an inch thick. Um, yeah. We see the excitement, though, in Father Mulcahy that we don't know. I mean, Father Mulcahy usually isn't awestruck by stars or the things that's left to other people but this time he is yeah and you find out why he is but well, yeah um and then hawkeye gets all this attention because he actually administered to gentleman joe while he was having a stroke and something else happens later on we'll talk about that gets no attention and deserves mm -hmm. it so yeah, I, I think it's a commentary on um, what the news focused on and still focuses on. Yeah. You, yeah do the, we ever really get the full news stories? Or no, do we get, we only get what it, people want us to know? Unfortunately, I think as of late, as of the last few decades, um, the news more creates the stories than the stories being I reported know. on the news. And I think that's kind of part of this, what we're seeing here. All right. Um, anything else, or should we? No, let's just discuss it. And... Okay. You know, it's yeah. I, I think it's interesting. Um, we've seen throughout the run where you get these different celebrities coming in, you know, USO tour or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, to try and boost the the spirits of the soldiers, and I think that's great. And, so, and celebrities still do that now, even though we're not technically in a war uh on a side note i think if we've been in afghanistan this long it should be a war or else we shouldn't <laughs> have soldiers there in active combat but whatever that's a separate issue um but you know you get yeah the, this famous boxer coming in and mulcahy being a boxer and uh growing up that way and and, and continuing because you know we see him a few times either beating a bag or yep. <laughs> punching the lights and out of a guy. Actually, you know, there's a couple of different fight episodes where mm -hmm. Father Mulcahy he steps up and he really does, you know, seem to enjoy the fights and we mm -hmm. find out why. Yeah. And, um, he, yeah, he explains it in this episode, which is cool. 
His father took him when he was younger to his very first fight. Mm-hmm. Tony Goretti and Gentleman Joe Cavanaugh. Joe Cavanaugh won. Yeah. Is that the same one where um, everybody was was calling for Joe to just finish it? Finish, finish it. Finish, finish it. Yes. By what? Did you catch what round it was? I didn't, I didn't catch what okay. round it was. But you know, but by, it was towards the end. Yeah. Toward, and, towards the end of the round limit, uh, Joe was just hitting the other guy uh, without without any defense you know the guy just had had it he was done and instead of knocking him out what did gentleman joe do he said he had enough Mm-hmm. called the ref called over yeah i won't fight him anymore and um and it was cool because father mulcahy he pointed out that he had two heroes in his life plato and um Gentleman Joe, and this was the reason why he took on that role of you don't have to be the bully, mm-hmm. you can win and fight with dignity. Mm-hmm. And you... that's when Father Mulcahy started to mm-hmm. fight for himself because yeah. he used to just let people pick on him, but he decided to step up for himself and he could fight with dignity mm-hmm. and keep to his morals, which and is keep very to his morals. which is very important for a priest, and that helps really, I think, in my mind, settle. Well, how can a priest be a boxer? And I think that kind of helps. Um, I did love his explanation of Plato and the whole ideal Fields. plane. and Yeah. Yes. And yes. how, as he was administering last rites to Gentleman Joe, how he was saying, and after that fight, it was then that I decided to keep one foot in the ideal plane and one in the war- real world. Yes, I did too. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I just love Father Mulcahy. I do too. I think his perception of the world, you know, he always tries to keep this positive outlook, mm-hmm. even in negative situations. Yeah. Um, something I didn't like about this episode. Oh yeah, I don't like it I, at all. Uh, I... I can appreciate that Hawk is getting a lot of attention from the press. You know, he's tending to Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh's dying. All the press wants to know about uh, Hawkeye and about the the personal physician of Kavanaugh. I mean, even details. Where is he yeah. from? Yeah. Who's this? Go, you know, mm-hmm. tell me details of where did you go to college and where did but, you... Yeah. You know, Crabapple Cave? <laughs> Cove. Crabapple Cove. Oh, good thing I asked you. Um, it, it felt out of character to me to have the other senior staff so sore at Hawkeye for getting all this attention. Hawkeye didn't ask for it. He didn't call the reporters there. You know, I'm sure if it had been BJ who had been on duty that night, they would have put BJ as right, the attending right. physician. And he would have been in the limelight. So I don't understand the visceral response that we see from BJ and Charles whenever Hawkeye is approached by the reporters. And he tries, Hawkeye tries to put them off. Right. He doesn't like it. He's like, do you think I like it when they come in the shower and start asking me questions? But to them, they look like he was basking in the glory. Like, here I am talking about myself. But really, do we ever see Hawkeye in that role? Well, I can't say never, but mm. not in this situation. No. I have to say this situation, he didn't. No. I I like 
the dynamic that Hawkeye and Charles have in the next episode yes, a lot better than too. this one. I think that one's a lot more natural, even though it also seems out of character. Yes. Um, it's in character but, for what we know of Charles. But how they handle it is in character. Yeah. This feels out of character. This feels abnormal. Um, I don't know why they decided to go this route. Honestly... Because I, press was everywhere. Yeah. We may not have explained that, but when oh my what happened is Gentleman Joe came, he he was oh, actually yeah. a little bit rude, I think, and I think they meant to portray him that way. Yes. How many camps do I have to go to and shake all these hands? Yeah. How but, many of these nickel and dime outfits are we going to? Look, if yeah. we're going to keep doing this all over the peninsula, you need to get me a second Jeep. You know, and... Father Mulcahy, he stuck up for him, for him. Like, yes, they should have get. you know, how would you like to travel all around? And everyone else kind of heard that and were, like, negative towards him. But when he was in with the men, he was very, mm -hmm. um, very kind. And, yeah. you know, how did that happen to you? Oh, that's not near as bad as when I got beat by so-and-so, yeah. you know. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I thought he did a good job when he was in by the men, but you mm -hmm. could definitely hear he was not passionate about helping people. Well, no. That's not who he is, though, I'm, either. I'm just going to play devil's advocate here okay. and say that, you know, when he pulled into the 4077th, I think this is another little perception thing. He was riding with four guys, equipment, and luggage. In a jeep. In one jeep. I I would feel cramped in that, too. So... You know, legitimately, I think he had some understandable gripe. And that's what gripes. Father Mulcahy was saying. Yeah, I think that's an understandable gripe. You know, quite honestly, if I've been in cars that crowded on a long drive, it, it's uncomfortable. You're not in the best moods when you get out. I and get that. And you're being shelled around you. It's it's not even... It's a war zone. It's a war zone. So you're doing this, you're taking a chance, mm -hmm. and you're uncomfortable. Right? Yeah, you're doing right. your best. I, I think it's understandable. I think that he showed a lot of professionalism in how he did just turn it on with the troops. Mm -hmm. Pardon me. You know, he knew he was in front of cameras, but even more than that, he was talking to wounded soldiers and to the staff, and he was trying to buoy them and lift their spirits. I think he was very professional. Then as they were having this wonderful steak dinner with wine and toasting each other, yeah. he just stood up and fell right over. Yeah. He had a major stroke, uh -huh. which you know totally took out half of his um, yeah. body and he had blood to the brain so they knew mm -hmm. it was a stroke they couldn't fix so he was in a coma and he was dying there wasn't anything they could do to help him mm -hmm. yeah Hawk mean, well i'm sorry yeah that's I was saying. you know they even uh hawkeye had taken a um a spinal fluid sample and found blood in the spinal fluid so um yeah it was a stroke you know Blood vessel burst, I believe, in the brain. Okay, intercerebral hemorrhage accounts for 8 to 13% of all strokes and results from a wide spectrum of disorders. Intracerebral hemorrhage is more likely to result in death or major disability than ischemic stroke. Uh, intercerebral hemorrhage and accompanying edema made so edema is blood burst, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, may disrupt or compress adjacent brain tissue leading to neurological dysfunction, substantial displacement of brain. Parachema may cause elevation of intracranial pressure and potentially fatal herniation 
syndrome. So and I think that's still true today. Like they haven't made <laughs> much um, improvement in that. But what can yeah. you do? Your brain starts bleeding. It's damaged. I, yeah, as far <laughs> as I know, um, I just remember this from like a uh, one of the Star Trek movies. I think it was one of the bad ones because I think it was an odd number. Um, where Chekhov falls from a great height and suffers a massive, like, concussion and there's bleeding on his brain, so they are going to drill a hole to relieve the pressure. I think that's basically all they you can do. They did that to Jody. Yeah, that's all you can do yeah. when you have a blood vessel burst in your brain is... My husband had that, mm -hmm. so they drilled holes in his head and relieved the pressure. Yeah, that's all you can do, but if it's too bad, you know, if it's already leaked into the spinal fluid, I, I don't know. And a stroke, I think, is different than yeah. just a bang. Mm -hmm. because, and there's different oh, yeah. levels of stroke. Mm -hmm. And this seemed like a really bad one. And this was a bad one. Because, yeah, pretty much right away, Hawkeye said, we can't do anything. But Hawkeye realized that um, he was getting all this attention. I don't think he liked it, even no. though Winchester and BJ seemed to think he was mm -hmm. thriving on it. But then something happened where BJ, oh, it was cool. He was reading a magazine article and mm -hmm. had a patient who was dying and said, I think I can fix him. Potter saying, no, get, you know, get him in, get him out. If his, if it's, if he's dying, let him go. We have other patients. And he's like, no, I think I can do this. Mm -hmm. So BJ remembered, or Hawkeye remembered the article. They said, okay, let him try. He actually put together a defibrillator. Yeah, which was interesting because it was just like one huge metal plate that they put under the guy, and then uh, uh, like paddles. Uh, uh, yeah, an insulated, just bare electrode that they stuck like onto his heart. So um, cool though, because um, like you mentioned, they said stay away from the metal table as <laughs> the guy keeps begging him with yeah, you know, oxygen. the nurse. Yeah, which I I think if I remember correctly from another episode, the type of bags that they use on the show weren't okay. invented yet. Oh yeah. So, I mean, besides that, they're <laughs> still standing next to the uh, metal table. Yeah, it's like you shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> Whatever. It's not right. Um. It worked. It brought the guy back to life. And mm. Hawkeye is trying to tell the reporters, look what BJ did. He invented this thing that can save lives. And they're like, so big deal. What mm -hmm. are you from? Crab up or what's up? Cave. Yeah. Cave? Cove. Crab up cove. Cove. And they could have cared less that BJ just saved someone's life with a pedal that he invented or quick threw together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm just reading quickly the, the wiki on... Um, the paddles on the paddles, because uh, Chris and I were talking, and it's you know we both said they're everywhere now. Like mm -hmm. AEDs are all over. They're everywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so it sounds like. Uh, okay, so they mentioned that it had only been tried in dogs up until this point, which is true. Uh, they knew that this worked in dogs. And uh, that charges could reverse the fibrillation. Um, there were... The electrical defibrillator, as known today, was invented by electrical engineer William Quivohen in 1930. Mm. Um, he invented the defibrillator and tested it on a dog. Uh, until the early 1950s, defibrillation on the heart was possible only when the chest cavity was open during surgery, so that's also consistent. Um, 
And then, let's see here, serial production of Gervich's pulse defibrillator started in 1952. Oh, that, those are Russian letters. Um, yeah. Uh, the device is manufactured by electromechanical plant of the Institute. is described in detail in Gervich's 1957 book, Heart Fibrillation and Defibrillation. So, uh, it sounds like it's possible uh, that this could have legitimately happened around the time they actually did some research. Yay! Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, this was in some sort of medical journal. It mentioned that this was possible. But, yeah, there is a there there is that problem with... Huh, everybody stand clear! And the guy keeps... Keeps begging them. No. No, you shouldn't. You need to stand back because the table could still arc. Um, but maybe because that bag was rubber? I... That would... I, I agree with you that that's possible, but like my contention would be that since the table is metal... Stay away from it. It could still arc. It yeah. could still... Because just like x-rays, you know, x-rays in the 50s were a lot different than x-rays today. Oh, yes. You know, x-rays today, they give you the smallest possible dose of radiation that they could to it get takes the 10 image. Seconds. Yeah. And then it comes up on a computer. Yeah. Back then they would have given you a longer exposure, higher levels. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing that And they the, had to develop it? Yeah. I'm I'm <laughs> guessing that the electrical charge on a defibrillator would be the same. Yeah. Um I'm not so sure. Now when they built the one here that they used, they had a light bulb. <laughs> I I don't know if that was more for us or for them. Because it looked cool. Yeah, you know, I, I can understand where they would want to know if there was electrical current running through it or not, but I don't know if that would have been strictly necessary. Um, but, I, you know, at least the, the basic principle is sound. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, the they described it, exactly what's happening. Do you know what uh, fibrillation is? What it actually happens with the heart? Just electrical shocks, isn't it? Well, it's... There are nodes on your heart that control electrical impulses through it. And those, um, like, first one part of your heart contracts, and so there's, like, a lower node. And then there's an upper node that makes your upper heart contract. So one brings in blood, one pumps out blood. So, and it's, so it it's supposed to, yeah, it's supposed to go in a certain order. When they get out of order, that's fibrillation, where it's just like the whole thing is either not completely compressing or compressing, like, at the same time so you can't actually get pressure through the blood vessels and what the electrical pulse does from a defibrillator is exactly what the reporter mentioned it actually stops your heart and then restarts it and then well the, the heart itself takes over again and starts the timing up and it can actually get the timing going properly so it literally does stop your heart okay however uh, defibrillator paddles will not save you from death because all they do is stop your heart so it can start itself up again. It does not restart a stopped heart. Okay, but I know for a fact that at least three people have been saved at our church from those. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. That if they were going it stopped through, and then... Yeah. No, if it was... If they were having... Uh, if they were going through uh, atrial fibrillation, yeah, it'll it'll save you. But I'm just saying, like, if, if you're dead, just dead. Oh, it, it won't. Bring it back mm -mm. To <laughs> I just. So, like, my dad had a massive heart attack. It would not have brought him back to life. No, yeah. all it all it does is literally stops your heart so that your, your own body, body can take over and get it going okay. again. Just a common misconception. It doesn't restart the heart. It stops it. 
And then your body restarts it. Yes. Okay. So that was a misconception I had. I I'm, thought it restarted it. No, I'm just yeah, I'm just pointing that out because I remember um, I've gone through a lot of first aid training through Boy mm -hmm. Scouts, through being a lifeguard, through stuff. And yeah, that was pointed out to us. But with AEDs these days, I mentioned this to you during the episode. Yeah, it, you can't screw it up. It talks you through it. Yeah, it you, literally talks you through it. You turn on the machine. It says do this, mm. do that, do and step by step instructions yeah. on the pads you have images of where to put the pads because when i started doing cpr classes yeah. i at nicolay when i worked that at that school i um that was years ago you yeah. still had the 15 pounds yeah. and the two breaths 15 pounds you know you yeah. had to do a lot of counting and oh, stuff heavens. now yeah. it's you don't you don't even do any of that you still no. have to do breaths correctly though and mm -hmm. there is ways, you know, you can't to do it without air. Yeah, but um, air yeah, but you know, just public service announcement. Just because I'm, I have taken a lot of first aid. Look around your workplace. Look around. Um, find out where it is. Find out where those AEDs are. They can save a life, uh, knowing where they are. Just you know, remember that if the heart stops, you're not getting blood through the person's body. If there's no blood flowing through your body, you have two to three minutes maximum before you start getting irreversible brain damage. But if now you, that we gave you a CPR lesson. <laughs> if, you, if you get that AED on somebody, it can help save their life if they're going through AFib. If they're not, it'll still talk you through what you need to do. The basic steps. Yeah, you still need to know how to do CPR. And those, you know. Call 911. Yes. It'll even do tell that, you that first. And it does remind you of that mm -hmm. throughout. Yeah. So, um. Just, just remember that you know a lot of lives can be saved if more people know CPR. If you more people know where AEDs are at your work, at your kids' school, at sporting events, all of that. Just be aware of that. But uh, back anyway, to mask. Yeah. Great ending. I thought mm -hmm. it was whole hilarious because you have to remember that they told Klinger anything you want to order. You can order, just mention... No problem. No, no problem. problem. Just mention so, General Wilberforce's men memo and get what you need. So Potter walks in his office and hears all of this food. Sausages and cheeses and anything that smells was... <laughs> Great. <laughs> Deli counter. Clinger, uh -huh. what did you do? You can't possibly eat all this. You can't keep it cold. Pardon me, is someone expecting a uh, delivery from General Wilberforce? And what was it? A refrigerator! <laughs> he not only ordered all of the deli meats that he wanted, he ordered a place to keep it. Which we should keep that in mind, that they have a refrigerator now in Klinger's office. Yeah. Okay? I, you know, sometimes I wonder if the post-commercial scenes are in canon or not. Because, like, on Arrested Development, which is another great comedy show... The post-commercial scenes are never in canon. Which means I they're not that part, to me. So, like, canon is what what is actually part of the universe. You know, the main episode, that's real, that's accepted as truth for the okay. characters and for the timeline. Non-canon is outside of that. It's not really? real. Okay. And, like, for Arrested Development, pretty much uh, after the last commercial, they have these little clips of next time on Arrested Development has nothing Never. to do with anything. Yeah, they just okay. do that for fun for the fans. Never part oh. of the official timeline. So, okay, I so haven't I, watched that show in so many years. Like, so it's, good. 
Um, I, I when it was on originally, I saw it, and that had to be yeah. at least ten years ago. Seasons one through three and a half, great. Three and a half and four, meh. Okay. <laughs> we'll see how five turns out. Okay. Uh, but yeah, sometimes I wonder if some of these post-commercial scenes on MASH would be considered non-canon. Yeah. Okay. Which, since... Um, you know what? In, in, in I their think serial... someone from MASH would let us know. Yeah. Well, it... Get a hold of us. Yeah. Tell us. Because I'm not... In serialization, I'm not sure if all of these scenes post-commercial made it onto the TV in, their, in the re-airing, so... Somebody in the know, please, please, please let us let know. Please let us know. Head over to narclaninc.com. That's N-A-R-C-L-A-N-I-N-C.com. Go to the podcast uh, <laughs> link. Go to the Whiskey and Mash page. There on the page are two links, one for emailing us directly here at the at the podcast, one for our Facebook page. You can head over there and message us there. Uh, let us know. Anybody in the know. Anything okay. else about I this episode? I don't have anything else. Okay, we we uh, I got off track. I apologize. Yeah. I know you're on uh, I'm limited on a time. time. You have a heart out here, so uh, uh-huh. we will try and make this fast. I think it's fairly fast. We can we can make it quick. Uh, but to wrap up yeah. the last episode, uh, heroes, guest stars, recurring cast. We had Earl Ben as Major Robert Hatch. Uh, that's uh, Gentleman Joe's assistant from the army. Pat Mac McNamara. Pat McNamara as Gentleman Joe Cavanaugh, Gerald Castillo as one of the reporters, Jay Gerber as another reporter, Al Rossi as another reporter, Matthew Fison as another reporter, Britt Leak as another reporter, Tierra Turner as a patient. Uh, we also had Roy Goldman mm-hmm. uh, helping Potter with the lane. Or no, I'm sorry, that's the next one. That's the next yeah. one. Uh, production code was 1G15, writer... Writers Thad Mumford and Dan Wilcox to writer Neil Cox, and original air date March fifteenth, nineteen eighty-two. All right, Sons and Bowlers. Real quick summary: We had, we opened in the Oak Club. The Marines were celebrating. They had once again beaten the four double seventh. This time in softball, they had previously beaten the four double seventh in football and basketball. It was twenty-four to zero in softball. Uh, so they're, Potter's trying to figure out something that they can beat them at. Uh, Potter decides, bowling! We can beat them at bowling. So Actually, that's, I think Klinger mentioned it. Klinger? Okay, yeah. I think you're right. Klinger mentioned it, and then Potter's like, yeah, we can do that! And Margaret keeps trying to get on the bowling team, because she apparently is actually a good bowler. Uh, on the, f- and, and they do end up beating the Marines. Uh, we can talk more about that. On the flip side, Pierce gets a letter. The letter is from his dad. His dad is telling him that he's going in for surgery. We hear uh, Pierce's dad's name. It's Daniel. Daniel Pierce, I believe. Um, And he's going in for surgery. They had found... Let me look it up. I have it here. They did an IVP and found a mass squishing his kidney. Uh, When they opened him up and took a biopsy, they found Viacroma sarcoma. And uh, so, cancer. And uh, they're hoping to remove it. But uh, Hawkeye's dad wrote this letter, sent it. That was two weeks ago. Uh, Hawkeye got it the day that his dad was going in for surgery. And basically the whole episode he's consumed with talking to his dad. Uh, He relates a story about when his mom died. How his dad handled him with kid gloves. And it really didn't end up doing him any good. Because he knew what was going on. And he didn't get a chance to deal with it or say goodbye to his mom. Yeah, as he should have. Uh, 
It was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, yeah. Yeah, and and one thing that I really like in this episode is the uncharacteristic, characteristic interactions between Charles and Hawkeye. And we can go more into that. Uh, but his dad is fine. Uh, the Fordable Seventh wins the bowling tournament. That's the episode. All right. I love how his, well, his dad, one day he, uh, Pierce came in and his dad made him breakfast. And he's like, where's mom? And yeah. he said, um, oh, she's sick. She's sick. Mm-hmm. And the next day, and then as the breakfast got bigger, his mom got sicker. And um, by the time we got to French toast and sausage, my mom was dead. Yeah. So I'm like, wow, you know, he relates that. So who does he relate it to? Well, he was relating it to his dad, I think, at this point. Like Charles. Oh. He was telling it to Charles. Yeah, he was telling it to Charles. Yes, who was he relating to? To Charles. Throughout this... But I, I think he was thinking of his dad. Oh, yes. No. Like, no, but relating it to in to, terms of telling it telling to... Telling it to Charles, to yes. Charles. Because, like I say, in character, out, but at the same time out of character, Charles um, is on post-op duty when Hawkeye is making this call. And... Um, overhears. Overhears. And then Hawkeye is making a call later, because he gets cut off by the general uh, who's making a call. Uh... Charles overhears him again, and um, you know, uh, in between the operator talking to Hawkeye and saying, "I'm trying to connect your call, sir. Please be patient." Um, Charles sits down on Clinger's cot and is talking with Hawkeye, and this is the Charles we see uh, during the Christmas episode when he's giving the candy to the children. He just has true concern in his eyes, yeah. like. I just love him as an actor because yeah. mm-hmm. when Absolutely. you look at him, the true concern, like, I just felt for him. Mm-hmm. Although his father was wonderful, mm-hmm. he wasn't the father that Pierce's father was. No, and he, he says, and um, yeah, in character, Charles says that, you know, I, I wish I had the type of relationship with my father that you had. The only interaction we had was at 7.15 when we sat down for family supper and the soup would come out. And as the eldest child, I would have the chance to go first. And my father would say, well, Charles, how was your day? And I would have, from the time soup was served until salad came out, to talk. And even now, whenever I see salad, I begin to talk faster. Because he had to get it in so mm. that his brother could have time to talk after. And, and you know, he says, Hawk, um, I'm, oh goodness, I can't remember his actual character name, Benjamin, Ben. Hmm. Well, I had a father. You have a dad. He said, um, you know, my father and I were 12,000 miles apart when we were in the same room. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what he's saying. I've, yeah. I've had yeah, that. Too. Been in the same room with someone when they were, yeah. you weren't in the same room. <laughs> and, no, it, it just, I love this episode because it, it, it's not just a moment where Charles is there for Hawkeye. It's from that point where he realizes what's going on until the end of the episode that he's there for Hawkeye. And... It's, oh, yep. it's He's huge right there. to me. And actually, Hawkeye confides in him and mm. not in BJ. 
So you still don't see BJ knowing the story. Yeah. Only Winchester. So yeah. this is a moment between Winchester and Hawkeye. Hawkeye is not a sharer with this kind of stuff. No. So he didn't, you know, only reason Winchester knew is because he happened to walk in and he yeah. overheard. Yeah. So this is something between him and Winchester that BJ is not even a part of, which I, I think yeah. is funny. Oh, I, I think it's fantastic too, um, to speak on Charles's character because you would never have had this with Burns. No. Never, no, never, never. Heck no. no. He would have said, don't be such a wuss. Yeah. And, you know, even... Uh, Hawkeye makes the comment, Charles, you've never told me anything like this before. And Charles just thinks about it and goes, I've never told you anything before. before. And and he even says to Charles, oh, I, you know, something about, you, you know, I like the relationship we have where oh. we don't sugarcoat. or you know, <laughs> Where we don't care about each we other. We don't really like each other. We don't say each other. Yeah, but, I, that was at first. But then yeah, Charles then, is just there, unobtrusively right. there. but Just there. Yeah, without expectations. Without payback, without yeah. having to deal with it for him, yeah. just being there with a look in his yeah. eye mm-hmm. or a nudge with his shoulder or yeah. a wink, and and even you know over when Hawkeye relates what the hospital told him about his dad's condition, Charles says, "Well, that's a tricky surgery, yeah, but doable right. with the right person of skill." So I mean. He's trying to help, and it's amazing to me um, to see that with Charles. There um, is an out-of-character moment in this one also, though. What? Potter asking Margaret oh, yeah. to... Uh, okay, they had this bowling tournament that yeah. we were talking about. They finally wanted to win, and I realized the wanting to win part. Mm, but, but I don't think... Potter went to Margaret to kind of wink, wink, let's get this guy busy yeah. and get his mind off of bowling. Margaret, I was just thinking you would keep him occupied with drinks. No, that's not what you were thinking. You were asking for and That's out of character for Potter. I it agree. is that totally the... out of character for Potter. Because we've seen that before where he's um, talked to, you know, right after she got out of the relationship with Donald, there was the reporter who was in MASH. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Potter who said, now look, she's still a little gun-shy. I would Stay be careful with her. With her. Right. Yeah, and he has a very and paternal... a very pr- Yeah, paternal protectiveness about yes. her. But this one, he wanted to win. But not... I don't think he ever wanted to win badly enough for him to have... No. But Margaret does do that anyway on her own. And she says to him, I did not do this for you. I did it for our unit. She wanted to win that badly also. But and, she... Now, I'm a little unclear on exactly what she did because it's heavily implied. But then... No, but she taught he taught her how to bowl. He taught yeah. her his secrets. I think she just got him oh, plastered. plastered. Okay. I don't think anything physical happened. Okay. But I think physical was implied. implied. Okay. Yeah. I, it just, I wasn't sure because. Because yeah. she even said, We bowled all night and he taught me all his secrets. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Sure. Um. But I, the real... She was up all night, too. How come she wasn't tired? Well, she wasn't hung over. No. (laughs) She was probably used to 12-hour shifts. No, that's true. The real real fun part to me about this was almost right away uh, when Potter is trying to get a bowling alley set up. So this is... You have that initial scene, and then you have, like, the first commercial break. And then right after that commercial break, we come back, and Klinger's on the phone with Sparky trying to get a bowling alley. Uh, but also, right then, Klinger mentions that the methylene blue had come in. 
No, it hadn't come in yet at that point. No. Nope. Oh, this. I thought when it, he was trying oh, no, you're to, right. it, it hadn't come in Man, yet, you're and right, then it you're came right. in later. He mentioned to, and I still don't, I guess, understand what it's. I know what it does it, now. I, I, it just turns your know, urine blue. Yeah. Well, why would you want someone's urine to turn blue? Do you need? I'm, I'm not sure. Let me look up. Like, I'm let me wondering see if, if you need it to thing. turn blue, like to check it for something. Methylene like if it's blue. green. Then you know there's too much yellow in your urine or something. Methylene blue, also known as methylthionium, methylthionium chloride, is a medication in diets. The medication is mainly used to treat methemoglobinemia. Specifically, it's used to treat methemoglobinemia levels that are greater than 30% or in which there are symptoms. Despite oxygen therapy, it has been previously used for cyanide poisoning and urinary tract infections, but this use is no longer recommended. It is typically given by injection into a vein. Common side effects include headache, vomiting, yeah. <laughs> confusion, shortness of breath, and high blood pressure. Other side effects include serotonin syndrome, red blood cell breakdown, allergic reactions. Use often turns the urine sweat and stool blue to green in sweat color. too? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, first heard in 1876, it is on the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines, the most effective and safe medicines needed in the health system. In the United States, a 50 milligram vial costs about $191. Wow. Um, but yeah, the, the main side effect that they were interested in here was the urine turning blue. And uh, they said, don't tell your captain, because they didn't want oh, them to know God. that yeah, they he, gave him they, something. Oh, okay, let's back up. So, the Marine... CO, in order to win against Potter, calls in a favor, gets a ringer who was on the pro bowling tour. Yes, and, that's and he Jesus. was good. Well, we, yeah. we see that even in the in strike, the strike, strike. Yes. in Mash the movie. Uh, the one twenty first evac CO calls in a favor to get uh, in a the ringer. boxer episode also. Yep, and yeah. in uh, the marathon episode. Yes. Uh, so yeah, so it, it's normal, but uh, <laughs> it, it's normal to do this. It's fine, but. Uh, to try and get this guy to not be able to bowl, uh, Charles realizes, hey, we can give him this stuff. And he won't know what's going on. And so they tell him that it is um, Kochner syndrome. And he can't bend and it's, over. <laughs> it's causing inflammation on his kidneys, and he can't bend over, else it'll cause undue inflammation. Uh, but yeah, he. Oh, I've got to tell my CO. Don't, it, don't tell him that. He'll it, he'll think you it, have a terrible, it, unfixable disease. It's not something that one talks about in polite company like like Marines. Tell him it's something uh, less embarrassing like VD. <laughs> tell, I think that's a what? <laughs> less embarrassing like VD. Just tell him you have crabs. <laughs> okay. Okay. So he can't bend over. So he can't bowl. He actually does just kind of throw it. Yeah, he, he like ducks his head to the side to get into the mess tent because he's that tall and just kind of drops it on the lane. Um, yeah, we gotta get it. Yeah, um, but it, it's great. Margaret ends up coming in to bowl. Uh, she's she's learned ringer. all the secrets. She wins. And uh, Hawkeye finally gets a call through, which is why Margaret comes in, finds out his dad is okay, and all things are great in the world I, and yells i love you dad i'm sorry i just i yeah you know when yeah. he's on the phone he's finally talking to his dad hey i'm not 10 anymore you know tell me tell me i i i get it 
Tell me. And do what the nurses tell you to do. Yeah. Like, he's taking on the father role. Like, yeah. you be good, Dad. You know, what do what a you dad always would tell say, your patients. Yeah, to his son. That's how he was acting. And you and, can just see, like, his eyes were sparkling. Like, yeah. I talked to my daddy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that kind yeah. of little boyish kind of. Yeah. And now, my, my favorite part. When, is in the old club. First of all, uh, oh, yeah. we're, we're getting the opposite. At the beginning of the episode, the Marines were getting drinks from the 477th. At the end, the 477th is getting drinks from the Marines. But then in the back, Hawkeye sits down at a table with Charles with two sifters of cognac. And he bought. And that he bought. And, you know, thank you, Charles, for your help. And he hands it to Charles, and Charles proposes a, a toast. And he says, like we did at the beginning of this episode, to our fathers. And Hawkeye holds up his and says... To and their, their sons. sons. Um, and it's love just, that. I, I love, love that. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So it, it's just a very tender moment between the two. And remember, you can always mend your relationships while you still can. So do that. Yeah. Go yeah. out and find your father. And... Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Anything else? No. Okay. Uh, I'm let's, off to a movie. So yeah, let's wrap to... this up. Uh, <laughs> guest stars recurring cast. We have Dick O'Neill as Colonel Pitts, the Marine CO. William Lucking as Sergeant Marty Urbanic. That's the ringer. Uh, Roger Hampton as another Marine. And then we have, oh, Kelly. Nurse Kelly is noted oh, in here. I didn't see her. In yeah, fact, I was I. going to mention to you, we didn't have Nurse Kelly the, these two episodes. No, uh, and Joanne Thompson was in the the last one, in fact. Uh, she had lines. So. But that's unusual for the MASH wiki. I will have to try and submit corrections. Uh, production code was 1G16, writer Elias Davis and David Pollock, director Hi Averback, original air date March 22nd, 1982. And to finally wrap up this episode, we already mentioned the website. You can head over there to message us, follow us on Facebook. Why should you follow us on Facebook? Because every time that I post a new episode, uh, I post the synopsis on Facebook. That way you know on Facebook if we get a new episode out there. Otherwise, you can subscribe to Whiskey and Mash on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast application or Stitcher Radio so that it will download automatically to your podcast listening device. Maybe you don't do the podcast listening device, but you want to keep up with us. You can find all of our MP3s, current and past, on our website, narclanning.com slash whiskey and mash. You can stream them off the website or download them to your favorite MP3 playing device. Finally, if you found some value in this podcast and you want to help us, we don't do Patreon or any sort of PayPal yes. or VIP. Share us with a friend, a family member, a co-worker, and leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts. That would also help as well. Thank you. If this is your first time, thank you for coming back. If you are a return listener, and uh, I'm Chris. I'm Gloria. Have a good week. Have a great week. Yeah, we'll see you next time. And don't forget, if you're from MASH and you want to let us know or want to join our episode, join us! Message us. We'd love to have Message you on. <laughs> okay, I'm going to a movie. Enjoy. Don't forget the bucket. Nope, I got the bucket on the purse. Thank $4 you. refill bucket. Love it. Hmm. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.